Our great Father, you tell us as we open up the letter to the Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Father, we praise you that you have always been a speaking and revealing and communicating God. And we thank you then that as we open up your word, we hear you speak to us and tell us what we need to know. We ask then, Lord, that by your spirit we will have receptive hearts and ears and minds as we listen to your truth. We pray, Lord, that you will grow us and change us by what we hear as these words point us to Jesus and who we are in him. Praying this in his name. Amen. Well, I remember uh, reading back in 2008 about a huge scientific project. They had just, at that time, they had just finished building a gigantic particle accelerator. Okay, and I believe it uh, still is the largest one in the world. Uh, going as deep as 175 meters below the France and Switzerland border, they had built this 27-kilometer circular tunnel for the machine. And I also believe it's actually the largest machine ever created as well. Now, any physicists among us, any physicists here tonight by any chance? I can say whatever I want then, and you won't know any, okay. Uh, but you can correct me on this. Um, but these accelerators, they basically allow scientists to have fun by shooting lots of tiny particles through them. And when these tiny things crash into each other at almost the speed of light, uh, there's supposed to be then new particles created that teach us about the universe. So let me quote from an article from the time. Its purpose is simple but ambitious, to crack the code of the physical world, to figure out what the universe is made of. In other words, to get to the very bottom of things. Scientists had hoped that they could recreate what the universe was like just after the Big Bang and also prove that there's a particle they think that might be there, which some call the God particle, which apparently affects all the other bits that make up our universe. Don't you love my scientific language, the bits of the universe? Okay. But, you know, my answer to this is, if you want the ultimate answers, then we need to go to God's word. It might not give you, the Bible might not give us the scientific information, and it was actually never designed to do that. But it clearly says in Colossians, in Jesus, all things hold together. And the Bible might not say words like Big Bang or similar, but it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it's great that we can scientifically study our world. I find all of that, that fascinating, even though I can only say it in words like bits, but, you know, it's cool stuff. Yeah. But we have to be careful of where we search for our ultimate answers. What is guiding us in our understanding of the world and how to live and where it is really all headed? How do we know what it's all about? Well, Psalm 1 tells us where to go for the ultimate answers. It shows us the way, not to a supposed God particle, but to God himself. And more than that, it tells us how to have a blessedness and a happiness in him. Because, see, we're all looking for meaning and fulfillment on some level, aren't we? We want, we have, we want a life that makes sense of it all. Psalm 1 tells us how to really get to the bottom of things. 
So let's open the psalm. And our first point this evening is that true blessedness and happiness come from not being influenced by the godless. By not being influenced by the godless. And so if you do have that Bible open in front of you, let's look at the first verse together, please. And there the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Now the word blessed here means a sort of deep happiness. It's about being richly fulfilled and having a true sense of worth. And of course, it's a blessedness from God himself. And so this psalm, really, it's beginning by saying, the man approved by God, the one who has a happiness and a worth rooted in him, looks like this. And it gives us three things that he doesn't do. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So he doesn't take the advice of or he doesn't learn from those who are against God. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and so he doesn't have the same lifestyle. He's not doing the same things as the, the people categorize as sinful here. And he doesn't sit in the seat of mockers. He's not of one mind with those who scoff at God, the ones who think they've got it all worked out, you know, the cynics. This is saying more than just watching who you spend time with. It's about who is leading us, what ideas shape our life, and where our convictions come from. And so we have to be careful. The wicked and sinners and scoffers, keeping with the language here, they don't have to be people who we would normally label as evil. They can be the sweet lady down the road who's involved in all kinds of good community things, but she doesn't believe there's a God. Or it's the well-mannered university student who believes that the answer to life is getting a good degree and a good job and then it's all sorted for me. Or it's the real estate news promising his dream home that if, you know, you just get that, you've gotten there then. You know, everything's perfect. It's anything really that tells us this is what you need. This, this is going to make you happy and complete. And the one thing in common with all of these examples they point us away from the true God. These things are the voices of popular culture that say, well, seek satisfaction everywhere else. Don't look towards him. Look over here. But the blessed man of Psalm 1, he doesn't live this way. He stands out from the crowd. Do we stand out from the crowd? Or are we swallowed up by the spirit of the age? True Christian faith at the core will always mean being different. If we have the same, you know, fully the same ideas as the world, if we're chasing only the same goals, if we're living the same emptiness, we're missing out on the, on the truly happy, blessed life that God offers and gives. But of course, let's not push this to the extreme then of having to separate ourselves out from the world, you know, retreating into a safe little Christian bubble, uh, you know, becoming a monk sort of in, in that kind of way. Uh, We don't have to give up our non-Christian friends. In fact, relationships can speak loudly, can have such a wonderful and loving influence on those who don't know God by us just living an authentic Christian life. See, this first part of the psalm is saying the pathway towards ultimate blessedness from God comes from not letting our lives be shaped by the godless. And so this brings us to our next point. 
flipping it around now, looking at the other side of the coin. Well, what do we do instead if we want to be on that pathway? Well, let's continue in the psalm. We'll read verses 2 and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The godly person here is instead influenced by the law of the Lord. Now, law here, as it's used, means God's revealed word in a broad sense. It can mean instruction. And so for us in the 21st century, here now in this church, practically speaking, we can say it means the Bible, God's revealed word. And this is what he delights in. So he doesn't just say, oh, the Bible's important, you know, and leave it at that, or he doesn't just pick it up now and then, or maybe not pick it up at all, but it brings him joy and satisfaction and meaning. He looks forward to it. Hearing from God is an important part of the psalmist's life. It says here, and on his law he meditates day and night. And as we read this, let's not confuse the word meditate here with some forms of Eastern meditation. That's often a meditation where you empty your mind. But biblical meditation is active. It's a filling of the mind with scripture. It's focusing on it, thinking about it, remembering it, chewing it over. It's giving scripture a mental workout. Years ago, we looked at this psalm in my Bible study group of the time, and I remember people really trying to figure out what meditation means here. Does it mean sort of a, 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 medita- a time of meditation, like a, a Bible study, a quiet time kind of thing, or is it more the ongoing meditating on, as in throughout the day, reflecting on godly things? Well, my view is that it's actually both. In my opinion, part of meditating on the Bible is what we often call a quiet or maybe a devotional time. And my reason is that the person in Psalm 1 is constantly nourished by God's word. Uh, It seems to be more than just picking up the Bible from time to time. Uh, He appears to be taking on new bits of scripture so that life is fruitful. So he's growing in knowledge and love of the Lord. He's prospering in him. There seems to be a deliberateness here. Enough time in God's truth for it to be daily food. But then I think this plays out in our day, in the rest of our day. That we've, we've fed our minds with scripture in that deliberate sense, then we remember it and we apply it and we live it. Because again, it says here day and night. So when we're confronted with bad news, even in the hardest of times, we remember the passages that talk about God as being loving and being in control. Or we glance up at the stars on a clear night and remember, well, the Bible says God created them. They're there for his, to display his glory. Or something wonderful happens. We stop to remember the Bible's description of God, that he is also a father of rich and generous blessings. Let me say it like this. I think biblical meditation is like a meal. Picture this. You've been marinating a steak all day in your special recipe. Okay. You're at work, 
but you can actually smell it. You can taste that steak. You know, you're, you're checking your watch on the hour. In fact, people can set their clock by you. You know, you just can't wait to get home. You, you get in the door, you fire up the barbecue, uh, you cook that steak, the juicy steak, to perfection, whatever perfection is for you. And you top it off with all the goodies that you like, like onions, potatoes, salad, whatever it might be. And you take time to sit down and enjoy a meal like that. Okay? It's not the sort of meal that you wolf down before you head out the door. This is not McDonald's beef in front of you on that plate. Okay? With each bite, you relish the rich flavor. You just can't get enough of it. But then once the meal is over, it goes on nourishing you. As you digest it, it does you good. Your cells get infused with the vitamins and minerals. You know, you've got all that delicious meaty protein going through your body. You know, it helps your body to be healthy. Our Bible time should be the thing that infuses God's revealed words and truth into our whole being so that it's there all the time. That's the picture in Psalm 1. That's biblical meditation. So how do we do that then? Well, let's all be honest. We're all friends here. You know, let's all acknowledge that doing this regularly can be difficult. If you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, I just never do this well. Don't beat yourself up as if you're the only one. Okay? Don't do that. Many of us struggle with this. But the answer is that we have to find what works for us. Might mean being a bit creative. You know, you need to find time or space in your day where you can have undistracted quality time, whatever that might mean for you and your context. Uh, It might mean setting your alarm for 20 minutes earlier in the morning, if that's what it takes. Or it doesn't even have to be in the morning. It can be before you go to bed. Or go for a walk and listen to an audio Bible. Or uh, I know many people who read the Bible on the train into into work. Um, I've had some of my best quiet times sitting at a public cafe with a nice coffee and my Bible open in front of me. In fact, that was my routine when I was at Bible college. Every Monday morning, I had one particular coffee, one particular cafe I went to, had a nice coffee, and read that, read that part of my Bible. And it was wonderful for years. Uh, maybe you're the kind of person who, as you pray through the passage, it, it speaks to you in that special way. Or you're the kind of person where if you get a notebook and you jot down ideas, that's the way you process and dig in deeper. Or maybe you benefit from a devotional book that opens a passage and guides you through it, whatever it might be. And if you ever want advice on all these kind of ideas and options, come and talk to me. I'd love to have that conversation. But then, of course, there are things you do throughout your day that's a little bit apart from that Bible time. You know, at one time I used to print memory verses on flashcards and pop them out and review it that way. Uh, We used to print Bible passages on an A4 sheet and stick them up on the fridge. You know, and these days, of course, there are countless apps out there, good apps that help you to... Just keep getting this into our minds and in our lives. But the point is, however this works for you, the blessed person, the person aligned with God, the person who's fulfilled on the right path, is the one who takes great joy in the Bible. And it feeds his or her soul. Or we can say this another way. The blessed person takes delight in Jesus because the Bible points to him. The Christian is like a tree planted by water. This person's roots deliciously drink in this life-giving nourishment from God's revealed word, the Bible, as it testifies about the living word, Jesus. The tree here in Psalm 1 has all it needs to be healthy. 
and fruitful. The Bible-saturated Christian, we're told, will bear fruit. In John 4, uh, that well-known scene, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. He says this to her. He says, everyone who drinks this water, and here he's referring to the water, the physical water drawn up from the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then if we jump a little forward in John's Gospel in chapter 15, Jesus goes on to say this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The pathway towards blessedness and happiness in God comes from delighting in the Bible because it helps us to continually delight in Jesus. But there's a third part of this psalm. Because the pathway of blessedness and happiness is not just about this life. It's also about eternal life. Let's read the the remaining verses of the psalm, please, starting in verse 4. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous the way of the wicked will perish. This nourishment and this delight and fruitfulness that we've been talking about, they're not for the wicked. The ungodly have chosen other things to be satisfied in, and so ultimately, well, they're not rooted in anything. They won't have a leg to stand on in the final judgment. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. See, in the time of this psalm, Farming worked quite differently than how it's done in modern farms today. Uh, Farmers processed their grain by first threshing it. This means that they used animals to pull these heavy sledges over it uh, to trample it. Then they'd sweep up all this broken grain together and they would winnow it. That means that they would throw it up into the air uh, during a light breeze so that the wind would just blow away the lighter chaff. Just getting rid of all the waste leaving clean grain then they could grind into flour. Just like this chaff that's just gone. The wicked won't last. When Jesus returns, he'll separate every person who has ever lived into one of two categories. The categories we see here in this psalm. There'll be the blessed. Those who know Jesus as Savior, as the one who died for him, so died for their sins, as the one they trust in for righteousness. You know, those who bless, those who love and delight in his word and in Jesus himself. And then there'll be the wicked and the sinners, the mockers. And those not listening to Jesus now will be shut out of his presence forever. And yes, we're talking heaven and hell language here. See, this psalm is really getting to the bottom of things. This psalm is getting us to the ultimate answers. We're sorting out where the universe is going talking about the eternal destiny of every person sitting here tonight. 
In keeping with the theme of today, we're also talking about the eternal destiny of every student on the campuses where our missionaries are serving. Dave and Julie and Steph and Kamal are dealing with young people all the time who are trying to find their path in life. That's what they're doing as part of why they're at university. You know, at the critical time of trying to make sense of where they fit into the world and where it's all really going. They're in a place where there's a search for understanding, but sometimes the answer that's given or the answer that's pushed, and Kamal's going to talk about that a bit later at the Meal for Mission, it's uh, universities are no longer a place for just sharing ideas and all ideas being equal. Uh, often the idea that's pushed now is very far from God. Or sometimes these students think they already have the whole pathway all worked out. You know, I've got life sorted. Let's pray that our campus missionaries can be part of a people finding that truly blessed path towards God himself. Because that's the answer they need. That's the, the life that they need. That's the ultimate hope that they need, the ultimate meaning that they're looking for. So we're all faced then with two ways it can go. Do you want a blessedness, a happiness, a true satisfaction and meaning from God that you can know now and will spill over into eternity? Or do you want to pursue a godlessness now and have eternity without God as you're blown away like chaff? See, the natural state of this world is for people to be the wicked and sinful and mockers, again, to use the language here. But God, in his great love, did something about this. He sent his son Jesus to pay the price of his life for our sins, for that ungodly attitude, that, that, that godlessness in our heart, so that we can have new life, we have eternal life, and be found in the assembly of the righteous on the last day. God creates a new heart in us, and through that, that's how we delight in him, in his word, and everything that he reveals. So if you are on the pathway of blessedness, and I truly hope that most of us here tonight that we are, well, please meditate on the Bible and on these truths. Drink in Jesus more and more. That's what we need to do. King David says in Psalm 19 that God's word is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. But if you're on the pathway of the wicked or the sinful or mockers, well, maybe tonight you're realizing for the first time that you will blow away like chaff. Well, ask God to help you to listen to him and to guide you, and that in him and his strength you can begin walking the pathway of Jesus. Blessed is the person whose delight is in the Lord, whose delight is in his word. He is like a fruitful and nourished tree, and he will be rooted firm among the righteous eternally. Pray with me, please. Great Father, we ask, please, that every single one of us here will be found on the pathway towards the assembly of the righteous. But we ask, please, that we will be the blessed person who delights in you, who loves to hear from your truth, because it reveals Jesus to us. But we ask, please, that we will be fruitful and prosperous in you. We ask, Lord, that we will have hope and meaning, significance, happiness, blessedness, all of these things, total fulfillment through knowing you. Lord, we live in a world where there are so many other voices that say, you know, this is the way to truth. This is how to get to the bottom of it all. This is meaning. 
Lord, help us not to fall for that. Steer us clear of the, the, the sinful mockers. Lord, people who think they've got it all worked out apart from you. And Lord, please build in us a deep, deep joy in what you tell us and who you are. Father, I pray for anyone who's sitting here today who doesn't know you in this way, who simply just are not on the pathway of the, of the, of the righteous now, are not the blessed man as we see here. And I pray that you will speak deeply into their hearts in a merciful way, in a saving way, so they will be found in the assembly of the righteous as well. Lord, be with us, grow us in this truth. Lord, help us to be people who are saturated in your word, not in a legalistic, I must be, read my Bible kind of way, but in a way that we love to hear your truth with hearts ready to meditate on it day and night. Lord, change us by this, encourage us in this, help us to encourage each other in this. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen.